This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Total Saints Podcast, episode 71. We're back with another listen, focusing on the goings-on at Southampton FC over the past week. It's the three of us as per normal, and we'll reflect on Saints' efforts against Wolverhampton Wanderers initially. After that, we'll preview next weekend's long trip, certainly for those of you based in the south anyway, up to Newcastle United. Sandwiched somewhere in the middle, we'll talk Ralph Kruger's exit, and also briefly talk about this week's FT.com article about Mr. Gale, Land of Sports and Southampton Football Club. If that's not enough, we'll also have our latest Total Recall as we look back and celebrate the brilliant 2-1 win over Inter Milan in November 2016. Now before we really get going, I want to pick up on the Saints Foundation's 2019 Big Bite Challenge courtesy of an email that came in to us from John Smith, one of the people involved. John sent a note through to me that said, Every season the Saints Foundation plan a cycle from the home of the last opposition to St Mary's or in the opposite direction if our final game is away. It's called the Big Bite Challenge. So far we've had rides including Crystal Palace, Stoke, Leicester, Man City last season and this time it's from Huddersfield. As with last year, the format will be riding for three days, typically 100-ish miles on days one and two, before about 60-ish miles on the last day. It's a cracking time, you wear Saints sponsored kit, make great friends and get to walk around the pitch at half time at St Mary's. You also get I've completed the BBC ride t-shirt and a medal. The Saints Foundation staff all give their time for free and it's the highlight of the fundraising season for the Foundation. I've now qualified as a British cycling ride leader myself, so we'll be leading on the groups from Huddersfield. This year we're hoping to raise £30,000 for the Foundation and are currently sat at about 40% of the target. All support is welcome, so if you can, please help the Foundation by sponsoring us. All you need to do is visit justgiving.com, type Big Bike Challenge 2019 into the search function and then select the link. There you can either choose a specific rider to sponsor, if it's someone you know, or otherwise donate directly to the overall target. 
On behalf of the Foundation, a really big thank you in advance for your support. John. So John, firstly, thanks very much for sending that through to us. We've obviously featured the Foundation a fair bit on the pod over the last couple of years, the uh, great work that Greg and his team does. So certainly on behalf of Total Saints Podcast, I'd echo what John said. And if you can provide any financial support to the Big Bite Challenge, then please do. We'll post the link on our Twitter and Facebook sites uh, underneath this podcast so that you can go straight to it. And yeah, obviously any um, support that you can provide the Big Bite Challenge would be uh, very much appreciated. Okay, let's move on with the podcast. This is TSP 71 in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and saintsarchive.com and proudly sponsored this season by happyhottubs.co.uk. Me? I could never own a hot tub. Stop it. That's the kind of negative thinking that's preventing you from sitting in a hot tub right now. Talk to Happy Hot Tubs today, where owning a hot tub is as easy as one, two, three. One, choose your hot tub. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose the way you pay with 0% finance available on selected models. I could own a hot tub. That's the spirit. You deserve happy with Happy Hot Tubs. Happyhottubs.co.uk Saints picked up a valuable three points this past weekend, disposing of Wolves 3-1 at St Mary's. It could prove a very pivotal weekend, as with Cardiff losing at Burnley and Bournemouth thumping Brighton 5-0 in their own backyard, Saints moved eight points clear of the relegation zone. Steve, I'm conscious of sort of following Adam Leach's mould here, but flip-flops and sun cream out, or not quite yet? I think, realistically, there's very little chance that the collapse that would be necessary. I mean, we would literally have to lose every game from here Mm. um, for there even to be a remote chance that Cardiff catch us. Um, So I think realistically, we're probably looking up the table now. Yeah. Looking for the more or less two million pound a place that's um, that's up for grabs. I mean, let's face it, the squad's going to have a bit of an overhaul in the summer, or at least we would we would expect there to be. Mm. So all that sort of little extra bit of money is only going to help us I think yeah and the game itself I mean it was weird when you look at the stats and I mean we've you know seen the highlights I know you guys were obviously there but I think Wolves had 77 possessions they obviously gave us a bit of a pasting between us scoring the first goal and the second goal but then sort of Saints took control I think they had more corners as well but you know as, as we know the game isn't played in statistics Steve it's played on the pitch and ultimately uh, a good result for Saints yeah I mean stats can tell a bit of a sort of false picture of, of the way things went I mean 70% possession but most of that was in their half with them just pinging it around between um, between the centre halves, mm. so I wasn't ever overly concerned, really. I'm not even sure that that sort of spell after we t- after we got the early goal. I'm not even sure that was necessarily down to them playing particularly well. It was mm. it was us doing our usual thing of just sitting off, yeah. thinking, ah, well, got this early goal. Wolves have let us through, so therefore we know that their mental state is clearly of the sort of more negative. Um, aspect that we thought it might be after last week's semi-final. Yeah. So therefore, we can just sit back and we'll and we'll be absolutely fine. I mean, the goal we conceded was pretty poor. I mean, it's quite rare that we actually concede good goals, isn't it? But um, <laughs> I, I never liked saying all Mark and Steve. I thought we'd lost that when Mark Hughes went, but it was a bit. Everyone was a bit static, weren't they? The one thing with that one is if you if you watch the replay, Bolly has run from miles outside mm. the area. Hoiberg mm. so loses not, him. Yeah, and. I mean, I don't know why Hoiberg's tasked with picking him up anyway, because it's a complete mismatch. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have someone challenging him, have someone who is strong in the air. Yeah. Um, and I know Matt Letizia always goes on about men on the post as well. I mean, as a goalkeeper in my career, it was uh, one less thing for me to do if there was people on the post as well. Yeah, but then the level that we all played at, you'd have left one or two players up um, <laughs> from a corner as well. But you won't find a single professional team that does that. Mm. There is this concept that you... The theory is that the more defenders you have back there, just the less opportunity there is for the ball to get through. It does seem odd that 
the sort of common sort of wisdom is that that seems to work. But then it gives the attacking team two opportunities to get the ball into the box, which just seems like, well, why are you giving them twice the opportunity? But hey, hey we're not professionals. No, so, no. Um, we're professional podcasters, obviously, but that's about it. So, uh, um, Adam, we thought it would be a, a tough test for Saints. Um, maybe it proved that. But we've seen again this sort of continuation of renewed belief and confidence, and it's even starting to filter into St Mary's now. Definitely. Yeah, everybody seems in pretty good spirits. They keep on selling out as well, yep. um, which is a good sign, not just for your Liverpool visits, but game like Wolves as well. Um, albeit they did have a pretty good following as well, which you tend to expect. It was another good day. Mm. Uh, I think that Adam Blackmore, Radio Solent, told me afterwards that that's as many home wins now in 2019 as there were in the entirety of last season, yeah. uh, which is a, a great statistic and does show... <laughs> how far that they've come and mm. and what you know kind of the job that Ralph's done and I was I've been reflecting on it a little bit because I, I made the point a couple of times that given the turnover of managers of questioning how much of this is actually down to the manager and how much of this is just a squad that aren't good enough yeah. and I kind of come to the conclusion that it was sort of the squad and, and yeah we're not to see this in the fullness of time yet because this is still kind of early days and, and I guess time will tell but I mean he seemed to have squeezed an extra few percent out of everybody mm. um, now don't get me wrong part of the thing that he's done so well of course is that he's obviously discarded very well um, in terms of the players that he has got rid of that we <laughs> long bemoaned some of them and their performances and, yep. and that's obviously been crucial in bringing in the fresh faces but you look across the team and there's these extra few percent that he squeezed out of so many players and, mm. and that all combined seems to have made a big difference I mean Wolves we, we obviously mentioned last week what would their reaction be to the cup semi-final defeat yep. and I think we all saw what their reaction was. It wasn't great. Um, you know, they did have a bit of the ball, um, especially after the, you know, in the first half they were threatening, but they kind of were fairly quick to throw the towel in in the second half, really, and they didn't put up an awful lot of fight. And in the end, Saints could have won by quite a few more goals. Yeah. It was another really tremendous day, wasn't it? It was a day that it, it took you back again to the Cumin years a little bit, where you turn up and you you expect Saints to be able to dispatch a team like that mm. uh, which they did so it was very pleasing yeah and Nathan Redmond Adam we've spoken about him a lot this season I think if I had to pick sort of three players for player of the season it would be somewhere between Hoiberg Walprouse and Redmond with an honourable shout to Jan Bednarek who's come on leaps and bounds this season but Nathan Redmond he's been a bit quiet the last few weeks but other players have stepped up to the plate as we've spoken about here's an interesting stat I saw yesterday Adam under Mark Hughes played this season Nathan Redmond 16 games 0 goals 0 assists under Ralph Hasenhutl 17 games, 7 goals, 5 assists. How do you explain that? Yeah, well, I think that's that's wrong. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that yesterday. Somebody showed it to me and I immediately thought, well, that's wrong because he scored 8 goals. So um, so they can't actually be Well, maybe correct. that was before yesterday. I don't know. But yeah. he, all of his goals have come under Hasenhutl, mm -hmm. uh, which is something worth pointing out. And the other thing to say about Redmond, when, you know, actually, funnily enough, I've written about Redmond in the verdict in terms of his potential for a player of the season award this year, because uh, lest we forget that the one thing that you can say in Redmond's favour is though he wasn't at the level that he currently is, he was one of the few players that actually did quite well under Mark Hughes. Mm. He actually did all right when we were searching around for positives, when they were losing a lot of games. Redmond's performances, albeit not quite at the level they are now, were up there. And yeah, yeah I mean... 
I haven't yet found anybody in these early player of the season discussions who's actually come up with anybody other than Ward, Prowse, Hoiberg and Redmond mm-hmm. as obviously going to be the top three yep. in some order or another. And I've no doubt we'll have a more of a detailed discussion about it. But obviously, Prowse realistically has obviously only played part of the season at the level he's at now. And whilst Redmond hasn't played the entire season at the level he's at, he has been at a good level for the entire campaign. Mm-hmm. He's just been probably more effective under Hasenhutl. But that's also because, you know, Hasenhutl's style really works for him. And we saw it with Josh Sims and Redmond as that style of player with Danny Ings as the man through the middle, uh, you know, especially against the back three of Wolves. It, I mean, it worked a treat. I mean, yeah. All right. You look at Redmond's second goal. I mean, Wolves, uh, you know, that is an absolute shambles defensively. I mean, mm. he's had to do nothing. Yep. The first one, he's done really well because he's timed that run into the near post brilliantly. Again, not great defending, but you have to give him a huge amount of credit. Defender's probably dozy for that, isn't he? He just just doesn't see him coming. Well, he has a little look when you see it again. He does see him, but he's just two on his heels. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's not been helped out by the guy on, you know, the right wing back, I think, who probably could get back if he actually put in a bit of effort, but just saunters back, which Mm -hmm. kind of summed up a lot of Wolves' effort, I thought, on the day. And yeah, the second one, though. That's not an amazing run that Redmond's made. He's not done a lot more than just walk forward. (laughs) But a great ball from Danny Ings and then a really composed finish. Um, So, yeah, certainly more effective. And then I guess the other one we talk about is Hoiberg, who obviously has had an impact as a leader under Ralph, but perhaps didn't have a great impact in the early part of the season. And maybe we remember a few disciplinary issues he's had, which have kind of let the team down a couple of times before he's really knuckled down. So Redmond has got to be right up there. Yep. Never trust social media stats then, but certainly one that I saw was uh, definitely right was that that was his first brace in a game for uh, two years, pretty much since March 2017 up at uh, Watford. Look, we've spoken a lot, Steve. The We're last... not counting Derby away in the FA Cup, then? No, in the Premier League. Okay. Christ, you two are giving me a really hard time on this. Look, <laughs> Jesus. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> um, Christ, I'll tell you what, someone else can host next week. Um, right. In terms of Hasenhutl, then, Steve, we've spoken a lot the last few weeks about the positivity around, you know, playing with intent, confidence, and attacking. I thought it was interesting that he dropped Romeo for a game that they were clearly going to come out and try and attack right from the off, which the early goal proved. Josh Sims couldn't get a game for Reading. We've spoken a bit about him the last few weeks. He came back into the starting lineup. You know, maybe a little bit hit and miss from him throughout the game. I guess consistency will come. But overall, what did you make of him? Yeah, he was decent. I think the fact that he was picked probably surprised Wolves. And I think that may even been a sort of contributing factor to the way we, we were able to break through the line so often, particularly in that first half. Mm. I mean, obviously should have scored that chance that he had uh, where he went clean through. I actually thought he should have done better with the one that he um, scuffed wide immediately after the second goal. Yep. But I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's not in there as a striker. He's in there as a kind of a buzzing around number 10 type player, isn't he? So mm. his finishing needs a bit of work, but at the end of the day, he's still young and there's plenty of room for improvement. Yep. Um, I thought the substitution was quite astute. Mm. from Ralph in terms of realising that Wolves were starting to get a little bit of a foothold through the middle yep. and just bringing on the the sort of disruptive ability of, of Romeo mm. was absolutely spot on and obviously getting long on as well. Yep. While Ings was involved in obviously those two through balls for Redmond and Sims in the first half, yep. he looked well, he looked like what he was, which is a, a player who's been out injured for a significant period of time and is a little bit rusty. So we didn't really get him involved enough or either that or he didn't get himself involved enough. Yeah. Whereas long coming on, all of a sudden the Wolves centre-backs in the second half, having had a relatively easy time of it for the first 15 minutes of that second half, 
um, suddenly had something else to think about and were looking back towards their own goal again. And Shane Long then, you mentioned him there, Steve. I think Adama Troyeri, we spoke about the first couple of goals. Again, he was sort of stood there in a you know, hopeless position thinking about what he was going to have on his aeroplane mill out to La Manga in the summer or something like that, just drifting away with the fairies, but kept Shane Long on side, so we're not complaining. Two goals in two games, who is this guy? Yeah, it's um, it's slightly unnerving. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, they, he was in the position to score and it was well taken first time. I mean, would have been easy for him to basically try and take a touch and kind of see where he was because facing away from goal, you're never quite sure where the keeper is or whether there's any defenders anywhere near you. But hmm. just instinctive thought, no, I've got this and could finish in the end. But yeah, he was he was a nuisance when he came on, which hmm. is exactly what you want him to be. If you're just tuning in now, this is uh, you've just joined us at a pivotal moment. Is the Ralph Hasenhutl loving is about to start again? Um, here's another stat, Adam. Hopefully this one's right. It should be Southampton have won eight of 18 Premier League matches under Ralph Hasenhutl, as many as they'd won in 52 under their previous two managers, Mark Hughes and Maurizio Pellegrino. This guy's just taking it to another level every week. Yeah, I mean, what more can you say, really? I mean, he's just done a tremendous job in this sort of early phase of his, you know, Saints career, and it's. What we said when he came in was job number one is this season, which is keeping him in the Premier League. And then job number two is bring on the revolution in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's how it will be. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see. I think a few players have maybe given him more of a dilemma than perhaps he had anticipated, actually, come the summer. Because I think there were a few guys, even I would say a month ago, who I think were on the fringe, but he may have wanted to sort of move on, mm. that, that have now really kind of given him a bit of a dilemma. There's definitely a few that have done that. Now, you shouldn't get too carried away when you lose matches. You know, on the pod, we've been pretty good at trying to find the positives. And I also think we shouldn't get too carried away. And I think there is a little bit of a danger at the moment. I don't want to sound like the killjoy here, because I'm I'm really enjoying it as well. But um, I think there is a little bit of a danger that we're getting a little bit too carried away in the other direction at the moment. The black and white nature of everything in football being everything has to be amazing. And if you say anything to the contrary, even any minor criticism, you're some you know terrible person who just <laughs> hates the club or the reverse. Yeah. If you know if things are going badly and you dare to say anything that you think is positive, then you're just a happy clapper and, and you know, just oh, don't looking that. through rose-tinted glasses. And, you know, I think that there are still some things that need improvement. If I was to be ultra-critical, I don't think that was a great decision to leave Romeo out yesterday. And I don't think that worked. And I think that he got a little bit lucky in the mm-hmm. Wolves weren't really at it. I'm concerned by their defending from set pieces. I don't think that they're doing a great job of that under him particularly. But I mean, they're not, they're um, not going to change overnight and become perfect, are no, they? It's no, going to no, take no, time. No, but I'm, I'm not saying that. The only point I'm making, I'm just, God, I sound like I'm trying to be really negative, but I'm not because I think it's great what's going on at yeah. the moment. I'm really enjoying it. But I'm just saying that I think that there's a sense that you win a few games and you get carried away and you lose a few games and you get carried away. Mm. Ralph has done a brilliant job and he is going to complete phase one of the job in some style yep. they've got as many points now as they got in the whole of last season they've got five winnable games to come from where they were when he took over what he's done is fantastic and he deserves all the plaudits for that because so much of that has been driven by him i'm not taking that away but obviously if this time next year his points per game ratio is over a season like it is now then we're going to win the league well we know he's the real deal yeah 
don't we? If he's picking up points, because the points per ratio he's at now is very, very close to what Wolves are this yeah. season. Yeah. So it's better, than, it's better than what Wolves are. Yeah, but but fractionally, it's what yeah. I mean. So it's about in that ballpark. So it's going to put Saints in that kind of territory, mm-hmm. and that's exactly where they want to be. So let's see, let's let's look forward with hope and optimism that he is going to be the man who can take them back there. But let's also not don't get too ahead, far ahead of ourselves. So you know, all this talk of oh no, you know, Spurs are going to want him, or Liverpool are going to want him, or Bayern Munich or, or whatever. Actually, just just you know, let's just enjoy kind of a bit more of the here and now i think rather than having to say that everything is incredible or everything's terrible uh, at the moment it's great so let's, let's just try and cautiously enjoy it i guess is what the point i'm making obviously he was pleased after the wolves game as he told saintsfc.co.uk i think we had a perfect start in this game um, after the start we were a little bit too much defending on the back foot and after the equalizer it was good that we had this switch in our game again because uh, we knew exactly uh, that it's not enough only to wait or to to organize. We also have to attack and to to press a little bit earlier. And I think this defending on the front is more what we what we like more and, and what we showed after after this uh, equalizer. And then it was not a coincidence that we we immediately made the second goal. And uh, I think the guys uh, could have scored more today, but also three one win is a big a massive one for us. We're waiting for the weekend, uh, winning the game after the game. The pressure is off and everybody is celebrating and we are happy and uh, celebrating with the team and, and celebrating that we we made a big step and so that uh, is uh, the moment uh, we are working for. So earlier today on social media we put a post out full of admiration for Ralph obviously and I'm more than happy to get carried away Adam. So I put a line out saying if you bumped into Ralph today as a fan for just 30 seconds of your time what exactly would you say to him? So we've had a brilliant response. The first things first thanks to everyone that sent a message in. Starting with Facebook Luke Digweed said thanks for restoring my enjoyment of watching Southampton play. Lee Skinner said that he would say to Ralph Hasenhutl nothing further than thank you. Jamie Bright plain and simple hug him and tell him I love him. James Parsons, who's a big fan of the pod and was on earlier this season, actually uh, knows Ralph said, uh, and it's a bit German here, so I'm going to try my best. Hi, Ralph. Ich hoffe, the heist die telephone number von Timo Werner, which in brackets he's put, Hi, Ralph, I hope you've still got Timo Werner's mobile number. And James has then added, it was announced yesterday he is free to leave RB Leipzig in the summer with only one year remaining on his contract. Bayern Munich are favourites and he would cost around 40 million, would be a perfect fit for us, dot, 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 you never know. Um, are Sean... we sure that's how it translates? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, Sean Smith said that he would just give him a manly hug and probably have a cry which I thought was uh, very funny and uh, Will Bly said uh, Upper Meccano Werner and Paulson, Jovic and Hallow please that's about 200 million but I think I can sell the furniture and then he said in all seriousness I do what everyone else is saying I bury my head in his chest and just keep saying thanks Ralph you're my Christmas birthday and bank holidays all in one Moving to Twitter. So we had lots of people on Twitter. So thanks very much for this. Dan said, mostly it will consist of thanking him profusely, inquiring about his status as some kind of magical being, and then asking him to sign a new contract. Kev Farron said, I just say thank you over and over for the 30 seconds. Jackie Martin, tell Ralph he's just what we've been crying out for since Ronald Koeman left. Excited going to matches rather than a sense of foreboding. Mike Tug Guy, I would say thanks boss, how you've transformed our club and can you sign here for another four years? Max Wilkinson, thanks for not being boring. Letizia's Fist said probably just say thanks and then stand there like a moron grinning at him. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that one so much. <laughs> uh, That's Rob- what you would do. Yeah, is that exactly what I do. <laughs> so uh, Robbie, of course, from Saints World said hello boss and thanks. Tom Woodick said please sign a 70 year contract. Tina Crouch said being a Saints fan is a love-hate relationship. You have turned it into a total pleasure. 
John Tilbury said he would ask Ralph to come round his for tea sometime as a thank you and, and he'll do schnitzels and apple strudel there we go Charlie Hawkins said I thank him for allowing me to look forward to home games at St Mary's again we, sh- we should have a schnitzel and apple strudel at the end of the season to celebrate I think Adam shouldn't we Ginny Marshall said thank you for coming to our club and taking us from most likely relegation to where we are now thank you for bringing back hope to the club Rob Barber, he only signed a two-year contract when he deals, so I'd ask him if he'll sign for a bit longer in the summer. We're nearly there. Matthew Elsie, where have you been when we were appointing the last three managers? Together as one, thank you, Ralph Simples. Andy Davis had a good one, which is, how did you turn Shane Long into a goal machine? Russell said, you are brilliant. Just please don't go to Liverpool or Spurs when you leave us. Jamie Pragnall said, you are such a breath of fresh air to this club. I love the fact that you all thank the fans on the pitch the way you do after the game. Thanks for making us Saints SC fans feel much more attached to the players and the club. More than ever, we win, lose or draw as one. Penultimate one, Caroline Emerson said, not only have you transformed the team and given the academy players hope once again, but you have single-handedly unified the fan base and everyone loves you and respects you for your belief in our players and our club. At this point, I either shake his hand, hug him or kiss him. And the last one, Adam, this was the first one in actually, but I thought this summed it up perfectly. St. Paul said, I would just say to him, thank you for giving us our club back. Isn't that lovely? Um... Be hard not to agree with that though, right? We've spoken about it before, the unifying, and obviously the results matter, but I think the fan base has, uh, over the last couple of years, it's been really tough, and you know this is a man that's pulled everyone back together, and I know you said earlier about not getting carried away, but I think as fans, we're just enjoying it a little bit more than we maybe have done. Well, and that's completely understandable, and, and results do drive that, really. We discussed last week, didn't we? Um, I think, was it last week or the week before, that there's been a few games where Saints haven't played actually all that great, but they have got wins which is a big difference from what we've seen. And that papers over a lot of cracks because when you don't play great and you lose, that feels terrible. When you don't play great and you win, you forget that you didn't play great. Mm. That ultimately winning games brings you know everybody together. I mean, we said at the start of this, but Adam, it was all about good results this weekend. The Prediction League. Come on, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. <laughs> How have we got this far into the podcast without pointing out the predictions know, for this because week? because if we don't, you just... I mean, what was it last week? What's the point of even doing it? Steve's already won, blah, 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 blah. Well, you got 3-1, didn't you? Uh, I got 3-1, yes, that's yep. correct. There we go. Steve Grant, 24 well points. Adam Leach, 20 points. Ben Stanfield. Oh, ben it's Stanfield's on. a bit further behind than that, but uh, yeah, there's a chance now. I'm I'm in. I'm back in. I feel, yeah, the door is ajar now. i tell you what, I was actually tense at the end of the game <laughs> yesterday. The Saints had all that ball in, in the uh, Wolves area, didn't yeah. they? And I was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You've got Rui Patricio <laughs> to thank for that, really, haven't you? That's safe. Yeah, I mean, that, that save from Yoshida was unbelievable. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. I could have run down and kissed him. On Friday, Saints announced that club chairman Ralph Kruger was departing with his contract not to be renewed past its current end date of 30th of June. The 59-year-old Canadian-born German had spent just over five years at Saints, having joined in February 2014. Adam, as is often the case with Saints, never a quiet week at St Mary's, nor a quiet day off for you, which I believe Friday was meant to be. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the departure, what was your immediate reaction when you heard the news about Ralph's exit? If I'm being honest, I wasn't absolutely stunned by the news. I had picked up a few uh, whispers about it on the grapevine over a, a period of time but I was perhaps a little bit shocked about the timing if anything because mm. logic would have told you that you would have waited till the end of the season and, and made the changes then 
given the the time frame we're now on, I think we were beginning to think, well, the kind of director of football type role was obviously looking increasingly like it would wait till the summer. And so you think if they're going to do a, some sort of major restructure at the top of the club, it, it would make sense to do it all in the summer. Yep. And I guess particularly given that mathematically the team are not safe. Uh, you think that you would keep everything together until such time as you were 100% convinced that you were staying in the Premier League. And so, yeah, I guess the timing surprised me rather than the news itself. It's not the first time you said that about timing, is it? We uh, we have a habit, Southampton Football Club, of uh, having impeccable timing, don't we, with these sort of things? There has been a lot of interesting timing, shall we say. Uh, I think from everything I gathered that basically the decision had been taken that Kruger's contract was up in the summer anyway, um, that it wasn't going to be renewed. And I guess once that information was passed on to Ralph, then I guess it was then up for all parties to decide whether it was best that he hung around effectively for the Mm. last six weeks or that he just went his own way. Now, I think certainly uh, there wasn't, I guess, a lot of point in him staying had they revealed that he would be going, I guess, had they kind of tried to keep that under wraps. Now, now, like I said, I mean, I'd heard stuff. So there's no, I don't think there's any way that they would have kept it under wraps. Maybe that was part of the decision just to get it over with. But also from Ralph's point of view, I think we'd all seen one or two stories that with the quote, supposedly a bits and pieces, supposedly attributed to Ralph or people close to Ralph saying, talking about ice hockey and, you know, potential returns there. And yeah, Given the timing of the NHL season, maybe, you know, the now is a good time for him to be on the market mm-hmm. um, if that is where he wants to go. So maybe it just once the decision had been taken, it was just it just worked for all parties just to get on with it, basically. And, and yeah, I, I, I suppose they've got Martin Simmons um, mm-hmm. of the three that only a year ago we were talking about, the three Saints power brokers, effectively. I mean, two of them have now been binned off mm. and he remains. Um, so he therefore steps into kind of the de facto leadership role. I don't know what you call it. I don't think it's the chairman role as, as we know it, but it's, it's kind of some sort of leadership role. And I guess from Saints' point of view and from Mr. Gow's point of view, that at least lends uh, continuity mm. um, and, and somebody you're not completely starting from scratch, as it were, between now and the end of the season. As you always do, Adam, you wrote a very well-measured piece in the Echo on Friday uh, about Kruger's time at the club. And as I just mentioned in the sort of intro there, he's been at Saints just over five years. Summarise, if you can, what you think sort of some of his key achievements have been during that time. Well, I think his key achievement really is in something that almost isn't going to be appreciated by supporters. He's, he had a slightly different role as chairman, mm. in a way, to what we traditionally perhaps think of as the chairman role at uh, a football club, yep. in that he was not hands-on chairman. He was certainly not at the club day-to-day. In fact, he was away from the club um, as often as, as he was there, to be honest. Mm. Um, but that was all part of the deal. That wasn't like he was you know, taking the mickey or something. That was just part of the agreement of what his job was there. Uh, and he was very much kind of a figurehead chairman rather than than a day-to-day chairman and he regularly said that his he felt his role was to be the representative of the ownership at Mm -hmm. Southampton I mean he said that in pretty much every interview that I ever did with him that that was his role and you could only conclude really that if that was his primary task he did a great job because ultimately 
Obviously, Nicola Cortese was the leader who got them from League One to the Premier League. And then Ralph came in and then led them on to the next stage, which ultimately ended up with the owner who first put him into that role making virtually 200 million pounds so all good from the owner's point of view and from mr gow's point of view ralph helped find that deal he stuck doggedly behind it when it would have been very easy to give up at the end of the day if most people would think that if the premier league have turned you down as a fit and proper person to own a premier league football club that that's the end of the road Mm. but ralph stuck with it despite the apparent problems with which company was going to own it um, which has obviously come back into focus this week as well and got that deal over the line so he got Leaper as sort of previous owner if you like what she wanted Mm -hmm. an absolute shed load of cash and he got Gal what he wanted which was that ownership of the football club when all the while um, Saints maintaining Premier League status, um, highs and lows, as we know, during that time yep. from the Cooman era through the you know, last couple of seasons, which haven't been as good, but maintaining Premier League status and running the business in the way that the ownership wanted, which is self-sustaining. You know, Leeper and Gal under Ralph's uh, watch have not had to dip into their own pockets, basically. That loan from Leaper very early on, other than that, which obviously was paid back as part of the uh, the settlement when she sold, they haven't had to dip into their pockets. So it's all been good. If we then look at the role slightly differently, if you think about it in a traditional football chairman's role, yep. you would probably think it's had, you know, really had some serious ups and downs because you would turn around and you'd say you'd look at the form on the pitch as much as anything and you look at the transfers. Um, now, it's slightly difficult. To, to balance this because on the one hand you say the method which Ralph ran the club was to give overall direction and then empower others to do the day-to-day nitty-gritty and the details yep. and maybe he was let down by some of those other people um, not performing as he hoped they would but ultimately of course he's the person who oversees that and mm. and is part of the process of uh, of picking those people so he still has to bear some responsibility and especially when we look at the last couple of years and we think well how much have they spent on sacking three managers in a row that, that have all failed yeah how much have they wasted in the transfer market some of these ridiculous contracts that they've given out now you could have one of two ways of looking at it. one is to be generous and turn around and say well it's not really ralph's fault that's the fault of other people and and most of whom have had to carry the can for their actions. The other is, well, he's the chairman, so ultimately he bears all responsibility because it's all under his watch. So it's kind of a bit of a difficult one to weigh up in many ways for me. Mm. Um, I don't know what you think, but that's kind of my overall summary of it. Yeah, I know you've bumped into him quite a few times and obviously we've read and heard lots of the interviews that he's done and some of the small club mentality and those sort of things that we've we've heard from him. I obviously had the opportunity to meet him alongside you when we went down to the Sea City Museum last year and he seemed like a very amenable chap, friendly enough. I guess as fans, sometimes you know you fear the future as much as look forward to it and I guess we've had that element of um, sort of stability under him that you know we, we did sort of achieve top six under his watch but we've obviously then deteriorated down the other side of the cliff. So, you know, it's interesting 
something that has happened now, and I think there's been a lot around, and we'll come on to talk about the FT.com article just briefly at the end of this section, Adam, but I think there's been a lot around with Saints, and whilst there's probably some celebration going on in some quarters, I'd say there's probably some trepidation going on in others, really. But in your sort of view, it's happened now. I mean, do you think we should be concerned by the decision? Do you think we should be encouraged by it from a, a gal point of view? Do you think there's sort of an element of feet in both camps? I don't know that I'm I'm either encouraged or discouraged by it, really. I, I don't really have a strong feeling uh, about it. Um, it's hard to really assess until you know what this actually is going to mean mm. in the fullness of time. I would suspect that maybe this is going to mean there will be a big restructuring. Mm-hmm. It may be that there isn't a chairman in the future. You know, there's this, they don't really have a chief executive now yep. and they don't technically have a chairman. Could this be one role? Will it be slightly different? Will they prefer to have a more hands on person taking that role now? Is that part of the motivation that they actually want somebody in there day to day from mm. now on? Mm. And that with that in mind, Kruger isn't going to be the man who's going to want to do that. And yep. so they make the change. And so I think until we know exactly what this means it's hard to really judge but the one thing uh i would say is it does look like gal potentially getting more involved Mm. at this stage i mean there was the talk from ralph when les reed went that mr gal had very much had input on that decision as part of this what was it leadership board or ownership board or whatever whatever he called it um that mr gal was chairing now we assume that mr gal has taken this decision as well and will now just lead the decision as to who um, and how they replace that role. Yep. And also, you would assume, given that Ralph obviously was chairing his satellite group, looking into the director of football or whatever those roles were going to be and who was going to fill them, hmm. that they will then have somebody else. You know, Mr. Gow will, will take an input in that. This all suggests Mr. Gow getting more involved. And uh, you know, one of the significant things that I don't think was, was certainly wasn't lost on me and several others was the fact that in the statement, there is a quote from Mr. Gow. Now, it's mm. only 34 words <laughs> and it says literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the first words attributed to Mr. Gow in the what more than 18 months that he's owned the football club yeah is that significant or not it's a i don't start, know i guess but it's it a feels start. like something doesn't it it feels mm. like he's making a decision he's having more of an input and then he said something so i wonder if that is going to be the background to this some increasing involvement from him now he's he's had that period of stability and continuity to get to know what's going on mm. and now maybe he feels like he wants to get a bit more involved yeah I, I mentioned sort of previously about there was a lot of fans that were sort of maybe celebrating the news and, and I think you know as a, as a fan we've learned over the years following Saints that you can never get too carried away but I guess the way that I sort of looked at Adam was it's another layer of experience long-term experience that's left the club you think of Gareth Rogers you think of Les Reed now Ralph Kruger it's not the end of the world because the world does move on but I guess it's almost the case of some being careful what you wish for well maybe i mean again uh, it just depends on on what happens now doesn't mm. it i mean it might be martin simmons if it is to be him you know he's obviously taking charge in the short term now ralph has gone but if it is to be him in the longer term in in whatever role that this ends up becoming mm. i guess in a way is a continuity appointment really yeah um i mean i'm sure he'll he will have his own ideas and his own thoughts and his own theories on how he wants to do things. Um, and they might be different from Ralph's. But 
that would still be a continuity appointment. What would be different is obviously if Gao went out and hired somebody else entirely. Now, that's not beyond the realms of possibility mm-hmm. that he could do that. But at the moment, from from everything I've heard as it stands, that doesn't look like the way this is going. So this might just be more of a kind of minor restructuring, perhaps even them feeling that for all of Ralph's value, that his position now is just one that they don't need. They don't need a, a figurehead chairman who's not there all the time anymore mm, mm. as a representative of ownership. Perhaps they just don't need that position. They need a hands-on day-to-day chief executive and they can deal with the owner. So you yeah. could almost strip out a, a person from the process and perhaps that's what this is about. Yeah. Moving back to the pitch then, uh, of course we're hypothesising again to a certain extent, but Ralph Hasenhutl made it quite clear when he came in back in December that speaking German, working with Ralph Kruger, you know, he'd been very much involved in helping convince him to take the job. Again, you know, to a certain extent, Hasenhutl's now lost his right-hand man, however, you know, many dealings they've been having during that time and conversations. But I guess as fans, we'll be slightly nervous that we've got a fantastic manager now that we've all fallen in love with, and um, potentially this is a, a, a move that could influence his decision to sort of stay or carry on longer term, could it? don't know that Kruger going necessarily um, is anything to worry about in that respect. I guess probably the more key element is what replaces him, mm-hmm. uh, what the structure is, and whether those key relationships that Ralph will have with whoever the new kind of director of football or whatever that role is, and whoever the new chairman, chief executive, whatever that role is, those key relationships probably will impact the longer term and the future of um, Ralph Hasenhutl in some way or another, you would assume. Uh, And so I guess there's reason to be cautious, but I don't think there's overly reason to be nervous. It's a bit like um, with the players. Ultimately, these kind of things that don't hugely, they don't really affect the players at all. And in terms of the manager, they do. But it's only, as I said, it's those one or two um, people that they deal with and how they get on with them. So, there is a potential danger yep. that the person that they appoint and Hasenhutl just in the fullness of time will butt heads and they just will not see eye to eye. And that could mean the departure of Hasenhutl. I mean, that is a possibility, but it is only one of a number of possibilities. The other being that there's somebody he likes even more yep. uh, and, you know, they get on great guns. And, and so he, he doesn't want to leave for the next 10 years. I mean, that is a possibility as well. I guess this is more into the unknown. I don't think he's so wedded to Kruger that Kruger going is like going to be a catalyst for him to walk out. I just don't believe that at all. Yeah. But yeah, you do have to be cautious because we don't know what comes next. And what comes next could be good for him or it could be bad. And we just don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Just finally then, earlier this week, as we mentioned a couple of times throughout this section in the FT.com, there was an article around Mr. Gow and his purchasing of uh, Saints, which seemed to focus on him selling his land shares, as we'd uh, all heard about maybe a few weeks ago. You wrote a piece in the uh, Echo on uh, Wednesday, I think it was, Adam, sort of saying that the club's stance hadn't changed on it. So I guess sort of flipping that around, your view on the FT.com article, you know, did you feel it made sense? Was it telling us anything more than we kind of already knew? And did you feel it sort of accurate? I wouldn't say it was inaccurate in that it did explain the situation, I felt, but what was slightly odd about it was it felt like didn't we do this story in February mm-hmm. because I went back and read the, the story that I wrote in February when Gao lost that 
large chunk, around 30% of Lander Sports, the Chinese-based Lander Sports company. Yep. There were the questions of what does this mean for Mr. Gao? And the answer was, well, actually, it doesn't mean anything in terms of his ownership of Saints, that is, because Lander Sports UK, the vehicle used to buy Santa Football Club, registered in the UK um, with Companies House, 100% owners of Southampton Football Club, are a separate entity entirely yeah and so it doesn't mean anything and so the whole story was a bit weird because basically it did it was accurate and it did say that basically in the story yeah but it also kind of the only new hook was obviously this this supposed line that the premier league were asking for some sort of clarification well i think as far as saints are concerned that's a fairly easy um response in the yeah, I mean, we can give you clarification. Now, look, the, the greater, wider picture, I've had a lot of conversations about this this week, including with um, two or three people who know much, much more about Chinese uh, business and the way things there work than I do. Yeah, They've been very useful in explaining to me as well, underlining the sort of Chinese fog of business and how it works and, and, and the, the majority of large business owners of very rich people in China do have some connection with the state because that is how it works. Mm. But unless the Premier League are going to ban all Chinese owners because they're concerned about that, yep. then I don't really see that this is going anywhere, to be honest. If there is a Premier League questions to be asked, then I think that Saints can answer them. Now, you can argue all you want as to, you know, or the Premier League could argue all they want, should I say, as to the morality of any of this or, or whatever, but the rules are not that stringent for ownership of Premier League football clubs. The rules, once people are in charge, seem to be flexible sometimes. So I think, honestly, if the Premier League are asking questions, then I don't think they're going to be complicated ones for Saints to answer. Yeah. All right. Just finally, then let's let's be positive. I think lots of fans have felt for a while, and I'll include myself in that, that we have needed a bit of a refresh. We've needed some people that can come in and maybe have some different ideas and sort of have that enthusiasm and desire to sort of succeed and get the club heading in the right direction again. So how confident are you, Adam, that Mr. Gao has the capability and the support he needs around him to manage this overhaul and this sort of restructure successfully? Well, I'm not confident, um, <laughs> uh, but I'm also not sort of bereft of hope either. Mm. I, and the reason is, again, that kind of we're going into the unknown Yeah. in that we don't know. I mean, the guy we've had now 34 words from him in 18 months. <laughs> we don't know. We've got no idea what his capabilities are or aren't. We can conclude that it looks like out, you know, in China he's a successful businessman, which bodes well. Yeah. Um, he, he obviously knows a thing or two about running businesses and making money, which is all uh, encouraging. And we can also conclude from his background that he has no real experience in professional football and certainly not in English professional football beyond the, the stint that he's had so far as a very hands off owner, a saint. So given that it would be wrong to say you you were confident because there's literally nothing to base any confidence on mm. whatsoever, is there? I mean, mm. there's no track record that suggests any level of competency in professional football management. There's also not a, a record of failure behind him in professional football management. So I kind of go at it with an open mind myself. I know you've tried hard the last 18 months to try and speak to Mr. Gow, but there's always been that Ralph Kruger layer there to sort of buffer it. I'm sure you're trying anyway, Adam, but do you think this potentially opens the door 
appreciate he's on the other side of the world, but to maybe try and have more of a interview with Mr. Gow at some point between maybe now and the summer. Well, I'd love to think that that would happen, but I I kind of doubt it. I don't think that the uh, culture of, of Chinese business and things like that is to come out and do media like we have culturally in this country. And obviously that's one of the things that we've spoken about before. There's a potential issue with, with having a Chinese owner is, is that there is kind of potentially a bit of a clash of cultures. Do I actually think it would be a benefit for him to do something? Actually, I think, especially at this stage, I think it would benefit him to do something. Mm -hmm. I actually genuinely believe that we've actually reached a point now where it actually would be good for him. I don't really see it being a huge danger for him at the moment. Perhaps it it could have been seen that way in the past, but I don't think it is at the moment. Will he uh, wish to do anything? Um, and if he does, will he be prepared to do anything meaningful, i.e. will he be prepared to actually speak to a journalist as opposed to just putting out platitudes via club media? Yep. I've got my doubts. Mm. Fair enough. OK, well, let's see what happens. Final sort of spotlight back on Ralph then, Adam. Many people have come and gone during your 17 seasons watching Saints. Lots of managers, lots of players, lots of uh, club execs, that sort of thing. I wouldn't say you're pleased to see the back of him, but, you know, will you miss him? Well, I miss him as a character. Yeah, I mean, he was, um, you know, you meet a lot of interesting people uh, in in this business. And Saints have got a bit of a record. Uh, I was thinking about it earlier, actually, of having... I don't know the right word. I'm not sure eccentric is quite the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway because I haven't thought of a better one. <laughs> a sort of eccentric chairman, sort of chief executives, haven't they? I mean, I've thought back over my time, and the first one was Rupert Lowe. We've had Jim Hone mm-hmm. and Michael Weil, yeah. uh, Ken DeLue, yeah. Leon Crouch. We've had um, Mr. Rupert Cortese. and Michael Wilde. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Nicola Cortese. We've had Ralph. So we've had some real... very very different characters but some very big personalities there and ralph was a huge personality and it was always interesting to see him and uh, you know as we've reflected on the pod a few times in fairness to him he fronted up a lot more than many other premier league chairmen do Mm. Um, whether people liked his answers or not uh, he fronted up he sat there when times were hard. You know, I just sat there a couple of times, just absolutely battered him, really. <laughs> and he took it, he answered, and people don't, you don't have to like the answers, but at the end of the day, if you're prepared to sit there and in difficult times and give answers, even if they're things that people don't want to hear, you've obviously got a little bit of backbone and a little bit of character about you. So I think perhaps we'll miss the character of Ralph as a man, as it were, as a person, um, and in terms of you know his leadership of the football club, probably a little less clear as to what what we will or won't miss. I guess we'll realise in the fullness of time if we will miss stuff or or whether this is just the right move at the right time for all parties. Bobby Stokes. Say farewell. 
Welcome to our latest Total Recall in partnership with the fantastic Saints Archive. Joining me as ever are Will Dorr and Leon Burton from the Archive as we look back on one of the most prestigious wins of Saints' recent history, the November 2016 Europa League game against footballing giants Inter Milan. Will, it wasn't that long ago, maybe two and a half years or so, but with everything that's happened since, it feels like quite a while. What do you remember about the atmosphere in and around the uh, stadium that day? It was absolutely electric. I mean, I probably an absolute nightmare at work most of the day to all my colleagues. So two and a half years later, I apologise to all those that are listening. Um, what it was, is I'll explain, I mean, me and my uh, stepdad had gone out beforehand to get the three sort of home game package for I think it was like £50. So you get £50 spent and you get the three home Europa League games. And the other ones, I wasn't particularly fussed on. It was this one. Yeah. Was after the uh, away loss, in which I thought we could have, Nick to win there, to be fair. Mm. I really thought we were going to have it there. I believe they got rid of their former manager and brought this new guy along. Uh, he was still finding his feet with the team. Yep. I didn't think Inter were particularly behaving themselves uh, as a team anyway. There was a, a lot of um, you know, disruption going along with the, with the club. Mm. So I really thought it was our night. We can make history. And boy, did we do that. It was an absolute brilliant atmosphere. Usually we always compliment our away section of fans who really stand up for our club on the, on their away legs and always have a really good singing voice and always do really well. But I think 30 or thousand uh, home supporters that night really acted like the biggest away supporters that we've ever had. They, it was just superb. Yeah. And Claude Puel was, of course, Saints manager then, Leon, um, Adam's hero, no less. And, uh, you know, he had, a few, <laughs> he had a few decent results during his time. You think of the, the wins at Sunderland and the sort of seven goal thriller up at Watford and that sort of thing. You know, he had this reputation for being a nice guy, which I think, you know, all of us would agree with that. But maybe his football was a little bit boring and wasn't the most entertaining. What did you make of Claude and his time at Saints? Yeah, I don't want to be too negative, Ben, mm. unfortunately. But, you know, from the start, I couldn't really take to him. Mm. He had this sort of dour personality. He had this long sort of drawn-out voice. There didn't seem to be any passion there. Yep. And the weird thing about it, Ben, was when he came in, he decided to change the formation. Mm. Under Pochettino and, and Koeman, we were playing this high-pressing game, we were chasing the ball, and he came in and said, because we're in Europe this year, we've got so many games we're going to play the diamond formation, which I couldn't understand at all, really. Yeah. I guess there was no doubting, Will, that uh, we'd been on some journey from League One after Marcus Lieber, of course, saved us. And to me, it felt like the moment his dream had sort of come true. You know, we'd finally made it. We'd finally on the big stage, the European stage against a footballing giant. And as you mentioned there, we obviously had a disappointing away result to them earlier in the tournament, losing 1-0. But admittedly, it didn't stop many of us having a great time over in Milan that week. But I guess we felt we owed them one after that performance. Yeah, it was exactly what uh, Marcus would have dreamed of with his vision and with a lot of the vision of the management of the club building up over the last few years. I think, I know for myself, stood there at St Mary's, I, I just saw the evening as we've made it, we're back, we're mm. back in the big time. And, you know, some people probably, the top six might think Champions League place or Champions League finals get reaching the big time. But that was our big time. After so many years of being out in the wilderness and administration, all the worries of that, we were back. We had Inter Milan in our backyard. And yeah. We were going we to show them something or two, and we did. And, you know, it really felt like we'd made it back to where we, as supporters, believe our club is. And where Marcus's dream, I truly believe, when he bought the club, is where he wanted us to be. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the game then. The game took place on the 3rd of November 2016. There were 30,389 packed to St. Mary's that night, with the vast majority waving their red and white flags, of course. Will, I know you've wanted to do this for a while now, so this is your chance. What was the Saints starter lineup that day, as picked by Claude Puel? 
This has made my day, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in Southampton lineup for that night was uh, Fraser Forster in goal, uh, Martina the Wonder Boy against Arsenal, then Nishida, Van Dyke, enough said, McQueen, Oiberg, <laughs> Romeo, Ward Prowse, Tadic, Redmond, and Rodriguez. And the two subs that made it on were Davis and Austin. Excellent. I'm going to do the Inter Milan team. I've been practicing all uh, week, Will, so wish me some good luck on the, uh, the, the surnames <laughs> here. But uh, in goal for them was uh, Handanovic. They had D'Ambrosio, Ranocchia, Miranda, Nagatomo, Candreva, Nikori, Medal, Perisic, Baniga, Arcadi, and the three subs that came on were Biambian, Melo, and Ida. That'll do. Excellent. We love our referee checks, uh, Leon. You got the privilege this week of doing our referee checks. So who was the man in the middle? You pronounce those really well, Ben. <laughs> the referee was from Poland, and that was Pavel Gill. Excellent. OK. After a cagey first half hour or so, in typical Saints fashion, Inter Milan and the prolific Mario Accardi scored with their first shot on target. As the game then meandered towards half-time, Saints were awarded a somewhat controversial penalty for handball against Perisic, and that's when the start of some injury time shenanigans as players tussled in the box. There was pushing and shoving, distraction techniques by the away team, Will, it was a bit of a bizarre situation, bearing in mind it was just about half-time. It probably was a contentious penalty, but it certainly worked in uh, Inter's point of view. There was the tussle between McQueen coming across to have a go at Kandreva for scuffing up the spot, and ultimately Dizan Tadic saw his penalty miss, so it probably worked. Yeah, it totally worked. I mean, and Inter obviously played that in training ground a few times. I mean, you're right, the penalty yeah, it was a bit hit and miss. Hoiberg sort of bounced the ball around struggled to control it it flicked up hit Perisic I think it was right elbow almost and he looked like he was trying to turn so it wasn't really intentional but penalty's a penalty into players getting all over the referee then kicking up the penalty spot um, which is an old school sort of thing mm. handbags at 50 paces amongst others by the time Tadic got up there and I think he'd missed one or two before this particular penalty yep. his mind must have been elsewhere because the penalty was terrible in terms of Dusan Tadic then, Leon, of course he left us last summer. I know Adam on the pod was quite disappointed because he felt he was one of our better players. We of course sold him to Ajax, but what did you make of his time at Saints, Leon, bearing in mind, you know, I think we probably missed him to a certain extent and he's obviously had a cracking season over in Holland since. Yeah, what makes it hard, Ben, is he's had such a good season with, with Ajax this year. Mm. Um, I thought we had a great first season when he came to Saints, I really did. I thought his partnership with Pell was brilliant, made a few goals for power that season. He wasn't everybody's cup of tea, was he, really? For me, he blew hot and cold. Um, yep. Definitely had the skill, but one thing, he wasn't a penalty taker, was he? <laughs> we found that out, yeah. No, there we go. So after all that, then half-time arrives with Saints 1-0 down, against the run of play somewhat. The second half saw us come out with more belief and a spring in our step. Saints took the game to Inter Milan and eventually got their reward when Virgil van Dijk got Saints equaliser just after the hour mark. This time it goes short to the near post. Redmond, crossbow, chance again. And this time Van Dijk does steer it home. Southampton with the equaliser at the second attempt. The initial chance crashing back off the crossbar. And Van Dijk was in the right place at the right time. And Southampton do score against Samir Handanovic. All square on the night. Southampton won. Internationale won. Ultimately then, Will, a well-deserved equaliser for Saints there when you take into account the pressure that they placed on Inter sort of throughout the game. In the end, I think it finished 57% possession to us, 23 shots to five. So certainly at the very least deserved our equaliser. Totally deserved. And 
at the time, I probably doubted it was coming. I just thought it was going to be one of those nights where we would try literally everything to get the ball over the line, and it mm. wouldn't happen. But as soon as we got that equaliser, you know when you get them gut feelings as a Southampton supporter, you know, you sort of think, hold it a second, I really think we might just snatch this. <laughs> That's when I truly started to believe. The Van Dyke goal showed... Ultimately, you know, his um, striking experience from when he was a youngster, I believe he was a centre forward rather than a defender. Mm. Um, he reacted well to it. He sort of looked at first at the referee and then sort of the linesman, you know, did I score? Is it allowed? Sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Us uh, supporters, we're, we're gone. We were celebrating <laughs> by that point. We didn't care. I remember having a really sore throat immediately after that goal as well because I must have shouted a lung out or something. <laughs> and that was only the equaliser. That was only <laughs> the equaliser. If we'd walked out there with a point, I would have been, wow, we drew an Inter Milan, so I was brilliant. Well, there we go. So, as Will mentioned, Saints did have the upper hand, and it got even better five minutes later. Well worked. Will has taken a deflection, and if there was a little bit of fortune for the first goal, Will has come in space for the second. It's an own goal, not that Southampton will mind. Nothing Handanovic could do about that one. Cross from the left. And Nagatomo, what can you say about that? It took a deflection. And I think he thought that uh, the ball would be cut out by Miranda. It wasn't. And it's just spooned off his thigh and into the back of the net. When it's not going your way, it really isn't going your way. A great cross from Talic then, Will, and after that, a little bit of slow motion, really, as the ball sort of went through a couple of legs and uh, looped into the net from Nagamoto to make it 2-1 to Saints. You sort of mentioned there how excited you were by the uh, equaliser, but the atmosphere when that second goal went in, we will remember Claude's celebration on the touchline. I mean, the ground literally erupted. I'm glad you mentioned it acted like slow motion, because it certainly felt like that at the game itself. The ball just kind of bounced a bit, hit a player, knocked off another one, and then went in and... There was a large section, you know, the stands, you know, the stadium that celebrated. We didn't quite see it first and we mm. thought, well, let's just celebrate anyway. The ball's gone. And we thought, you know, a Saints player had actually scored from the position I was saying. But it was bedlam. It was beautiful. There was complete strangers hugging each other, which is <laughs> quite unheard of sometimes at a Saints game. Usually they're having a go at each other. It was brilliant. Absolute perfect night for me. And I'm just so glad I was, had the opportunity to make it when I don't always make all the games. There is the referee's whistle that brings to an end a famous victory for Southampton at home to Inter Milan. They've battled back from a goal down and have taken the deserved three points in their quest for UEFA Europa League football after Christmas. Saints saw out the remaining 20 minutes or so fairly comfortably. Indeed, they could have won by more, but it didn't really matter. We got the win, we got the three points, we'd beaten one of the most famous European footballing clubs in our own backyard. Sadly, despite sitting second in the Europa League Group K after that game, with seven points from four games, we somehow managed to mess up qualification in the remaining two games, eventually finishing third with two wins, two draws and two defeats, and exiting despite a better goal difference than Hapoel Beersheba, who finished second. Leon, despite that, it'll always be a great feather in the cap, I think, for most of us to say we've beaten Inter Milan at home, something for generations to come that I think we can look back on proudly. I know you love your Saints and your Saints history. We mentioned Marcus at the start and I think ultimately at the end of that night it was a particularly good moment for him and for the club for all of us to sort of look back on. Well, Marcus would have been thrilled, wouldn't he? Sadly, as we know, after Marcus bought the club, he sadly passed away at the age of 62, much too young. And he said at the time he had a five-year plan to get us in the Premier League from when we were the bottom of League One, minus yep. 10 points. Not only did we do it in less than five years, we've done it in three years. 
and to see us in the Premier League and into Europe, you know, that would have been his dream, wouldn't it? Thinking about European nights then, Leon, obviously we've had a couple of seasons now where we've not had that. The club has gone through a few ups and downs, but with Ralph in charge, you know, I guess most of us feel that with a bit of luck, the right players in, you know, potentially we can get back to those European nights again soon. Yeah, that's right, though. A bit of a shame, really. We didn't have Ralph at the start of the season. It might have been a different story at the moment, mightn't it? Well, another big TSP thanks to Will Dorr and Leon Burton from SaintsArchive.com. Make sure you check out their wonderful website and their brilliant Facebook group as well. Just search for Saints Archive on Facebook and join the thousands of other members treasuring Saints memories and stories from around the world. We'll be back again soon with our next Total Recall ex-Saints interview. I know Leon is working very hard on that one. I'm looking forward to it. Until then, that's been Total Recall, November the 3rd, 2016, Southampton 2, Inter Milan 1. Adam Leach and Steve Grant, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Next up for Saints is the long trip to St James's Park to face Rafa Benitez Newcastle United. They had a big win at Leicester on Friday night, Steve. It takes them to uh, 38 points as well. I guess we're thinking both clubs now, the pressure's off a little bit and it's a game that probably both teams can come out and almost enjoy. Yeah, I think so. And Newcastle have been pretty strong at home this calendar year, really. I think mm. their, their defeat to Palace last week like before that they'd won five on the bounce I think so and I think Palace only had one shot on target didn't they the penalty uh, which which was the penalty I yeah. think yeah so um, I mean they're, they're strong at home so even if the pressure was still on then it was it's not going to be an easy game by any stretch mm. of the imagination but we've shown that we can compete in those sort of games now mm. um, we've come up against teams at the top and teams kind of middling around us and come out uh, largely in credit, I think even like, even the Liverpool and United games that we lost, we yeah. were we were well in those games, and I think the mentality is just going to be well, carry on, lads. And I mean, you would think Newcastle's will be the same, so maybe might see a similarly sort of open attacking game that we saw yesterday. Yeah, and you get the impression, don't you, Steve? That I mean, certainly Rafa Benitez, I don't think will be any different. But Ralph spoke after the game yesterday about wanting to get to 40 points. There's still a bit of work to do. You, you do get the feeling that he's certainly not going to let Saints drift towards the end of the season now. They're going to be well up for this. No, definitely not. And I mean, ultimately, there is still that sort of spectre of transfer chaos in the summer in terms of quite likely big turnover of players. Mm. So while we probably think that most of the players in and around the first team at the moment are pretty secure. Yep. If any of them slack off, then you can see that Ralph will think, well, actually, you're not the sort of character that I want in this dressing room. Mm. So I don't see any players slacking off for the time being. Last season, Adam, we left the pub a little bit too late, admittedly, but uh, I remember walking up the steps to my seat. Obviously, we climbed pretty much as high as Everest to get to that stage. I heard a sort of medium cheer from Newcastle fans that uh, something exciting was happening. I turned round to see Kennedy put the ball in the net. About 29 minutes later, he did the same thing. I then walked back down the steps, and as you well know, because you still give me stick for it, spent the rest of the uh, game in the uh, refreshment area, shall we say. Tell me it's not going to be any worse than that this time can't possibly be can it <laughs> it's got it's got to be better yeah i mean you know um i mean it was no coincidence that Maurizio pellegrino was pretty much sacked the next day because joking aside i've watched saints a long time like you guys and that is up there possibly even the worst half an hour of football i've ever seen well i think it was that day that convinced them to do it i mean all the soundings that i'd got before that were that they felt that sacking the manager at that point actually 
the ship had sailed if they wanted to sack him mm. almost and and that sacking somebody at that point you're in a risk that you could sink without trace and i think they were very very wary of that but then the just the manner of the performance that day against newcastle kind of led them to believe that actually this can't get any worse this is as bad as it could be really so actually there's nothing to lose now so we may as well sack him because you know if we, if we carry on like this and we're down anyway mm. so I think it was that that day very much sealed his fate mm. uh, and, and had it been a better performance, even if the result hadn't been better, I'm not sure they would have acted. And given then the timing, I'm not I'm sure they wouldn't have acted and he would have remained in place all season. But, you know, we, we've spoken about it already. You go into games now actually looking forward to matches mm-hmm. and, yep. and there is a certain amount of pressure off. And it'll be very interesting now they're kind of at that point or, you know, they're virtually at that point to see what does happen now, whether Ralph can continue to get these performances out of them and this level of motivation out of them when they know kind of it's job done, we're mm. safe, or whether they kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit and, you know, sort of cruise in a bit like Bournemouth have sort of done with being relatively poor, but then chucking in the odd game like like we saw Brighton at the weekend. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, but I think it's another one to look forward to. For Saints and, and like I said last week, all these games are kind of interesting markers, um, not just in terms of players for next season, but in terms of where they are up against a lot of these teams because mm. they're going to come up against teams. They're coming up against teams like Wolves, who were like a little bit unmotivated. Newcastle, though, at home, you think are going to be quite up for it. Yeah, I actually think despite you know people might might say well look at the table it's not quite the case but i actually think saints are a better team than newcastle Mm -hmm. um so i think they can give them a a really good game we know it's a difficult place to go we know that the record's been pretty average up there but why not really and and you know they're sort of heading into a busy little period aren't they over that easter week with three games coming in pretty quick succession so that little period would be the are they going to finish with a flourish or is it just going to fizzle out to the summer now so mm. um but there's i think there is still a lot to play for and i'd be interested to see what ralph says publicly when we speak to him because i wouldn't be surprised if to try and keep the motivation up that he kind of publicly reminds the squad as a whole yeah he is going to be making a lot of decisions about a lot of players in the next few weeks and so you best keep on trying really yeah well the total saints podcast panel will be in full attendance at st james's park travel uh, allowing but uh, just finally then steve before we do our predictions and obviously the pressure i mean i can just sit back and relax and let you two fight it out for this prediction title now but uh, what would you do in terms of team selection keep it the same as yesterday i mean i guess for an away game you probably think there's more chance of someone like romeo coming back in as a starter yeah romeo will be back in i'm sure and I would probably imagine it would be a straight swap for Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, as much of an impact as he had, I think he's the natural one to drop out in, in that situation. Elsewhere on the pitch, maybe you give Ings a rest again. Or, but then, we're obviously, with the Watford game on, on Tuesday in mind, yep. you're probably assuming that Ings isn't going to be able to start both of them. Yep. So maybe you put him in for an hour at Newcastle and, and then half an hour at Watford and vice versa with, with him and Long. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could switch them around whichever game takes your fancy, I guess. Yep. It's obviously not all about this one game on Saturday with that rearranged game on, on Tuesday night as well. Yeah. Right, there's a lot of pressure on this. I have a 2P here. There you are. You can hear that. Um, I'm not going to go Adam or Steve. So, Steve, I'm going to give you the chance to call heads or tails so we can make the prediction league very, very fair now. 
Tales never fails. Tales never fails. It is a tale. It never fails. There you go. Oh. If you want photographic <laughs> proof, I can send it to you, Adam. But uh, right, Steve. I would have gone head, so I've got, I've got Steve <laughs> There you go. So, Steve, you can go first then. I don't know why. Just yeah, just gut feel. 2 1 win. 2 Ooh. 1 win. Yeah, good. All right, Adam. Damn it. That's what I was going to say. He's going to say you. Oh, that's what really you were going to go for. That's what I was going to so go for. Yeah. <laughs> that's the most predictable part of the prediction league. We're brilliant at guessing each other's predictions, much better than we are at actually getting well, them. Well, what do you right. reckon I've gone for then? You go for a 1 0 Newcastle win. <laughs> Wrong. Um, wow. Uh, okay, I will go. I'll go 1 0. Oh, that's what I had. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so, uh, this violin. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm going to go 1 0 Newcastle. Yeah. Oh, well, there 1 0 we Newcastle, there you go. I feel balance has been restored to there the universe. Just because reverse psychology tends to say that uh, if I predict Saints to win, they don't. So, uh, fingers crossed, 1 0 Newcastle written all over it. Thanks for listening to TSP. As always, grateful to Adam, Steve and the Saints Archive chaps. Hope you uh, appreciated Adam's overview on the Ralph Kruger departure. I think, you know, with our Saints hat on, we have to appreciate the things that he did do for Southampton and uh, wish him all the best for the future. We'll be back next week, post-Newcastle and pre-Watford. We'll also have a chat that time about the uh, Saints season ticket news that came out this week. Uh, not got time to fit it in this week because the uh, pod is already long enough. But uh, if you've got any thoughts or comments around the season ticket prices, then uh, drop us a tweet, a Facebook post or an email. Otherwise, have a good week wherever you are in the world. I think we all will based on uh, yesterday's result. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport powered by fans.